Matthew chapter 24, we want to say a few more things about the last days, some statements that Jesus made, and we'll look at a few other things also. Matthew 24, beginning with verse 13. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. Then shall the end come. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. Woe unto them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. But pray ye that your flight be not in winter, neither on the Sabbath day. So we're teaching about looking into the future. Prophecy is a subject that is inescapable in the Bible. And if you really think about it, immediately after Adam and Eve's sin, prophecy kind of started to be fulfilled. The Lord had told them that you can eat of all the fruits, different trees, except this one. The day that you eat of it, you will or you shall, future tense, die. That means that from Genesis 3 right on to the end of Revelation, you are dealing with a book of prophecies. One prediction after another. People are interested in the future. They want to know about the future. They pay large sums of money to mediums and fortune tellers and other people because they want some idea of the future without knowing that they're dealing with the devil. But for us that are Christian, we know that if we want to understand the current season in which we're living, we need to stay with the book. Very important. And of course, there are two other chapters connected with this, Mark 13 and Luke 21. These are all like triplets. Each of them contained questions that were asked to the, to the Lord Jesus Christ regarding the end of the age. But Matthew gives us three. And I told you that the answer to the first question begins in verse four. The answer to the second question begins at verse 29. The answer to the third question begins in chapter 25, verse 31. And the questions are, tell us when shall these things be? which shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world. Now, if you're really interested in these things, you need to study the words of Jesus. We need to know what he says about the last days. And beginning with verse 5, he gives us a number of different things that we can expect. We run into deception and deceit, false teachers and prophets, Betrayal and wars and rumors of wars. And he even talks about the love of many waxing cold. So verses 5 through 12 are a number of events that are going to transpire. But verse 13 speaks to us about endurance because there is a time of the end. And the one that makes it to the end will be saved. 
James says it this way. Blessed is he that endure temptation when he is tried. He'll receive a crown of life. In your future and in my future are rewards. We are one day going to hear the Lord say, well done. So for all of us that are believers, you will receive a crown. You will receive rewards from the king. Read what Jesus said to each of the seven churches. To all of you that overcome, I will give you a number of things. So it's almost like running an obstacle course. We face a lot of different challenges and the Bible is clear in verse 13. We have to endure these challenges just because wars are taking place today and horrific things are occurring. That is no reason for you to lose your faith in God. Just because moms and dads turn on one another and children betray their parents and there are earthquakes and diseases in different places in this earth or in the bodies of people that you know. That's no reason for you to turn away and walk from God. Scripture says he that endures to the end shall be saved. And he talks about the gospel being preached in all the world. This gospel, there's a specific gospel that is comprised of specific facts. And we need to know that. When Jesus was born, the angels were in the heavens declaring, I bring you glad tidings. So his birth is the gospel. Let's never forget that John the Baptist said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. I have to decrease so he can increase. If Jesus was not a sinless, spotless lamb, he could not have bore your sins and mine. That's the gospel. Let's remember that Jesus went, climbed up on the cross for your sins and mine. He bore our iniquities, then was taken down from the cross, genuinely buried on the third day, raised from the dead, as 1 Corinthians 15 says. That's the gospel. And then our Savior ascended to heaven from the Mount of Olives, and the angels said, why are you gazing up there? Same Jesus that departed, one day will return. All that's the gospel. Now, these are not facts that <clears throat> are negotiable. These aren't facts that we can compromise on. And Paul goes so far as to tell us in 1 Corinthians 15 that if you deny the resurrection is true, your faith is vain. That means you can be in church all your life. You can have t attended church all of your life. You can die in church, but still not believe the truth of the word of God. And if you don't believe these truths, there will be no entrance in heaven. So Jesus is saying this specific gospel of the kingdom shall be preached. What is the kingdom? The rule and reign of God from Eden to New Jerusalem. The good news of God's authoritative reign from the beginning all the way to the end. He said it's going to be proclaimed. It's going to be announced. He doesn't tell us by who. So we know that everybody is supposed to be a witness. Every Christian should know this story and tell this story and boldly announce this story. And when you announce it, you don't tell it as though you're not certain about the facts involved. You tell it courageously. Now, he said it's going to be told in all the world. Now, this is a big world. We've got more than 200 countries. And let's not forget 
We've got a lot of different tribes. I don't know how many languages there are on this planet. I just have no idea how many dialects and idioms are spoken. However, I do know all of them need to hear the gospel, whether it's in their native tongue or in another tongue. They should hear the gospel. And when Jesus makes this statement in verse 14, it's it's important to realize that there were other religions of the world that were in existence in ancient times. Buddhism was in the earth when he made that statement. Hinduism was being practiced in the east when he made this statement. Greco-Roman religions were believed by many people. Folks thought Caesar was a god. There were cults for Julius Caesar and shrines in different cities. The goddess Diana, don't forget about the temple that's mentioned in the book of Acts. There were all kinds of ancient deities we know that were superstitions, but nevertheless were worshipped by people as though they were true. And Jesus says, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world. He knows what is, what is believed in other places, but he still wants the gospel to go there. Because there are people that will say things like this. Well, well, I don't understand why, you know, at Christmas time, people need to go around caroling and telling everybody about Jesus. I mean, why, why not just leave folks alone and let them believe what they want to believe? And why do you need to go overseas or to another state or to some other city and tell people about Jesus? Why can't you just let people have the culture that they want to have? It's none of your business what they believe. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Jesus said, teach all nations, all ethnicities. Jesus said, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness. All of us, if we're going to be witnesses for the king, we have to be willing to tell the story, even to people who don't want to hear it. That's what we have to do. And in these last days, from Jesus' day right on up to the end, somebody's going to be proclaiming these truths. So just remember that if you muzzle your mouth, there will be someone else that will tell this story. If I fell over dead in the next 30 seconds, I promise you there'd be somebody telling this story about Jesus. None of us are so important. See, God buries the workmen, but the work goes on. The Lord makes sure that his message continues. So for a witness unto all nations and then shall the end come. So as the gospel is being proclaimed at some point, God knows when on his calendar, the end of the age will come. Now, between verse 14 and verse 15 is a bit of time because with verse 15, He's given some information about the final sentence of verse 14, which is speaking of the end. Daniel speaks of the time of the end. Now, what do we know about all of this? Well, one day, according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Jesus is going to descend from heaven. And he's going to come with billions and billions of saints. And the Bible says those saints, according to 1 Corinthians 15, will then return to their burial sites. And in a miraculous way, those who had glorified bodies are going to receive renewed glorified bodies. And the scripture says all of us who are still alive and remain here on planet Earth 
as Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, are going to be caught up to be with him, so shall we ever be with the Lord. And the scripture says in that final verse, comfort one another with these words. To know that one day we're going to be airborne. Now for all of you that are afraid of airplanes and helicopters, I'm telling you the rapture is going to be quick. You're going skyward. But it's going to be amazing. And the scripture said, we shall be caught up with him. He yearns for that day. Talking about Christ. There's something in us, like Paul says, that desires to be absent from this body, but to be present with God. All of creation groans and sighs, waiting for deliverance from this curse of sin that controls the earth. And when the rapture takes place, it's at that time we know from Revelation chapter 6 that Jesus walks over to his father's throne and he grabs a book. That book has seven seals. He opens up that first seal and there's someone in the Bible called the Antichrist or the man of sin, the man of lawlessness. In Daniel 7, he's called the little horn. He will be revealed. And he'll go forth conquering and to conquer. There'll be a second seal, another horse. And he'll gallop across the earth. And the Bible says he'll take peace from the earth. A third horse is going to produce famines and shortage of food. And then there's going to be a pale horse rider. And behind him will follow death and hell. But if you turn with me now to Daniel chapter 9, then I'll explain to you why it is that Jesus is citing this particular passage as he talks about the time of the end. In Daniel 9, beginning with verse 24, it is the final verse of Daniel, verse 27, that deals specifically with what Jesus is quoting, but I'm going to read beginning with verse 24. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. And then he gives six reasons here to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem unto Messiah shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks, that is 69 weeks. And the street shall be built again and the wall, even in troublous times. Now, there was a gentleman years ago named Robert Anderson who took the time to study the Jewish calendar and was a remarkable guy involved with astronomy and with calculations and things like that. And he began to compute the time frame and the years. So in verse 25, when it talks about the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem, that's talking about in Nehemiah's era. You'll remember the king on the throne sent Nehemiah back and said, go and observe. And he gave the report and the commandment was given for them to rebuild the wall. That was in March. According to the computations of Mr. Anderson, March 14th, 445 B.C. And then when it says here, the weeks, we're not talking about 77, uh, uh, seven, we're not talking about 70 weeks of days. 
but weeks of years. So the 69 period, what does that mean? That means every day equals a year. So we think of a week as seven days. But I want you to think of a week as seven years in this computation. It's about 483 years. And Daniel was able to prophesy right up unto the death of Jesus. Look at verse 20, 26. And after three score and two weeks, that's 62 weeks, shall, shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. Jesus didn't die for his own sin. He died for ours. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city. What, what prince? The, the leader in the end time that will attack and destroy Jerusalem and try to attempt to, to take over the world. He shall come and destroy the city and the sanctuary and the end thereof shall be with a flood and unto the end of the war desolations are determined. And here is the verse that Jesus quote, and he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. In the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate. See, make it desolate even unto the consummation. And that is determined shall be poured out upon the desolate. What does this mean? This means that of Daniel's 70 weeks that are mentioned here, there's one week of those 70 weeks that remain. And from Matthew 24, verse 14, until we get into verse 15, we're in a time frame where our role is to proclaim the gospel in all the nations as a witness because one day the prince, the man of sin, is going to be revealed. What will he do? Paul says that he will situate himself upon the temple mount and act as though he is God and be worshipped as God. Daniel tells us that he's going to make his residence in the pleasant land, in Israel. What do we know about the characteristic of him? The scripture says he'll have no regard for women. He very well may be not just an oppressor of women, but homosexual. Revelation tells us that in the time of the end, Jerusalem will be known spiritually, and I'm quoting, as Sodom and Egypt. Why do you think in these last days there's such a rise in homosexuality and lesbianism? So much of this is a flood tide pushing things in a particular direction. Now Jesus sees this. Jesus foresees this. And Jesus declares this to his disciples. And when the Antichrist is in residence in Jerusalem, he will do his best to try to govern this world. But it won't be able to happen in the manner that he wants it to happen. That is to say, there will one day be a one world government. But you and I won't experience that until Jesus comes again. Now in Daniel chapter number two, we have a couple of scriptures that I think are worth knowing. And I'll ramble through these fairly fast. In Daniel chapter 2, a vision is had by the king. And I want you to see in verse 31, as Daniel gives the interpretation. 
He talks about the image's head being of gold. And he talks about its breast and arms of silver. Verse 33, legs of iron and feet, part of clay and iron. But you can see in verse 35, there was a stone that came and smote it and it filled all the earth. See, it was a stone that came. Well, if you look at verse 44, you can see and in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. That'll be our savior's kingdom. We'll be a part of that. Verse 45, for as much as you saw the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands and break in pieces, the iron, brass and clay, the great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter. So the only one world government that will be recognized will be the one governed by Jesus. Now, since Genesis and going all the way through the book of Revelation, there have been different kings that have tried to become rulers of the earth but they've never succeeded. Look at chapter four and notice what it says in verse 22. The king had had a vision or dream about a tree that was great and flourishing. And Daniel gives the interpretation and tells him in verse 22, it is you, O king, that art grown and become strong for your greatness is grown and reacheth unto heaven and your dominion to the end of the earth. Now notice that final sentence, dominion to the end of the earth. Now, you know as well as I do that Nebuchadnezzar never controlled planet Earth. But that sentence is a euphemism to describe the vastness of his kingdom. That is to say, in every direction we could look, he controlled it. And this is why in Luke chapter 2, when it talks about the birth of Jesus, it says during the days of Caesar Augustus, a taxing went out across the whole world. But he didn't tax the whole world, he taxed his empire. He didn't tax the citizens of China. He didn't tax the citizens of any Pacific islands or in the southern regions of Africa, only in his own region. I'm saying all of this because I want you to understand that when you run into phrases in the book of Revelation that gives a description of the Antichrist controlling planet Earth, he's not going to control it all. God would never give one man that kind of power. Well, I don't want to just leave you with my statements. I need to show you some verses in Revelation. Turn to chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6, and we'll hasten to move on here. But you need to see these. Revelation 6. Notice here in verse 4 that there's a red horse rider that's going to take peace from the earth. But we need to know the scope of his power and his galloping. That's Revelation 6 and 4. But notice verse number 8. I looked and behold a pale horse and the name that sat on him was death and hell followed with him and power was given to them over what part of the earth? Fourth part of the earth, not the whole earth. When it's time for the trumpets to be blown, I could show you verse by verse where it says a third part of the trees, a third part of the waters, a third part of the mountains will be destroyed. The Antichrist will not have the whole planet. So will there be opposition to him? Will there be difficulties for him? Yes. In fact, in Revelation chapter 7, it says there are 144,000 who won't follow him. 
We know that in Revelation 6, when the fifth seal is open, there are millions of saints that will die for the word of God. He won't control them. If you look in Revelation chapter 11, you'll see in verse 3, he gives power to his two witnesses who will prophesy the, the final three and a half years of the tribulation period. And they will have power to shut the heavens so that it won't rain in the days of their prophecy. And they will fight against the adversary. And the Bible says about three and a half days before the last day of the tribulation period, they'll be overcome by the Antichrist and they'll lay dead in the streets. And the scripture here says people will be giving gifts to one another like it's Christmas time and they'll be rejoicing. And then suddenly it says they'll come back to life. It's all in this chapter. And it says they'll stand on their feet and there'll be a voice from heaven that says come up hither and they'll be called away raptured as the church had been beforehand. Look at Revelation 13. I'll just give you three or four more scriptures on this, and then I'll go back to Matthew 24. But in Revelation 13, notice what it says in verse 7. It was given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome him, and power was given him over all kindreds, tongues, and nations. That's why people think he'll control the earth. But you got to read verse 8. And all that dwell upon the earth, all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of the life of the Lamb. What does that mean? That means that during this period, those whose names are in the book of life will not worship him. There are going to be millions of people that's going to believe. Pastor, do you really believe that? Look at chapter 14, verse number 6. I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to them that dwell on the earth and to every nation, kindred, and tongue, and people. That means every nation, every group of people are going to hear this angelic voice, and he'll say, fear God and give glory unto him, for the hour of his judgment is come. What is he saying? You stay away from that antichrist and don't follow him. You don't think the angel is going to know what to tell the people? He will know. Yeah. Look at verse number 9 and 10. A third angel comes along with a loud voice and says, If anybody worships the beast in his image and receives the mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God. That is to say, the Antichrist will introduce a mark, either in the head or the arm, 666. And he'll say... If you don't have this mark, you won't be able to buy or sell. I don't think it's so strange. We just came out of a period where people were saying without a vaccine shot and without a card, they shouldn't even let you in the store or ride a plane. And your family members shouldn't even celebrate holidays with you. So whatever your feelings about that, all I'm saying is, if you would have told someone four years ago that that would have happened in this world, people would have said, you've lost your mind to think that could happen so fast. They shut the world down in less than 30 days. Yeah, we came back from Kenya. We heard about some stuff on the airplane and by 45 days later, they were saying 
They didn't want any church services. They didn't want people going to work. They wanted everybody to stay home. Look at verse 15. Another angel came out of the temple crying with a loud voice. Him that sat on the cloud thrust in the sickle and reap for the time for thee to reap is now for the harvest of the earth is ripe. That tells you that during the tribulation period, there will be people accepting Christ. There's going to be a harvest of people. Now, listen to me. I don't want you, nor do I want to be a part of the harvest of this period. We want to be gone. We want to be gone before the ten horns come on the scene. We want to be gone before the little horn manifests himself because this is going to be a time of disturbance and trouble. I'll go back to Matthew 24. So Jesus, having given the disciples this information, says to them in verse 16, For you that are in Judea, flee to the mountains. Why the mountains? Because the mountains have caves and caverns. A number of years ago when Tiff and I traveled to Turkey to preach. I was preaching in ancient Galatia, the capital city, Ankara. And one day they took us over to Cappadocia, a large series of mountains that have underground cities in them. And this is where people went and hid during the Roman persecutions. And I'll never forget taking that little quarter of a mile walk through the town up uh, outside the town into the mountain area. You park your vehicle and you, you go on up there and then there's a little entrance and, and it can't be more than this high. And you stoop down to go in there and then they can roll a stone from the inside across that hole. So if anybody from the outside can't get there and maneuver it and, and, and get it back and forth. But it's a big stone. And once we got in there, We started walking, went from place to place, down long corridors in the pitch black. But of course, by now, they've got lights and stuff in there so people could see how they live. Bedrooms. They had dug out oxygen canals for people to be able to breathe. All of that. Now, can you imagine thousands of people living in mountains and down in the heart of the earth? They did, and they lived that way for years. Imagine giving birth to a baby in an underground city, and that child is four or five years old before he ever really gets out and is able to experience daylight as we know it. That's what they had. Jesus said, let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of the house. Just like there's an intruder in your home, don't go back down in there looking for personal possessions and belongings. Leave the most priceless things behind and flee. That's what he's saying to people during this day. There's nothing in your life so important that you need to risk returning for it. And he even said for the people working in the fields, don't go back looking for any more clothing. You stay right there in your work clothes and you run for your life. And he said, woe to them that are with child. Now notice that little phrase with child. With child, two words, say those words with me. With child, this is what our Lord and Savior said. I want you to understand that when a lady is pregnant, she's with child. That's contrary to what contemporary feminists and others want to say. And some men, they don't want to say it's a baby in the womb. Our Lord said with child. He said it's a dangerous time to be pregnant or even to be nursing. 
The reason it's a dangerous time is because there'll be so many disturbances and trouble, death, people looking to die, won't be able to find death. So many people lose in their lives. Sure, good things will be happening and people be coming to Christ, but it's going to be a dangerous time. He said, pray that you're not with children or having children. And he said, pray that your flight is not in the winter. Imagine nursing a baby or being seven or eight months pregnant and in weather that is 20 degrees or 10 below zero and three or four foot of snow and you're trying to run for your life. It can get cold in Israel and there are plenty of places where there's snow. And all the years that I lived in the Middle East, I was surprised at how cold it can get in the desert. That temperature does drop. But he said, pray also that your flight wouldn't be on the Sabbath day. The reason for that is because on the Sabbath day, Jewish people were only allowed to travel so far, lest they break a law. You can read it in Acts chapter 1. It talks about them going a Sabbath day's journey. So a Sabbath day's journey would be about from here going to... I'll say walking up towards the John Deere place. That'd be about a Sabbath day's journey. And the Lord is saying, you don't want to be trying to keep the law when people are chasing you and in hot pursuit and you're having to break the law. Your conscience will be destroying you. So as you can see, at the time of the end, it's going to be a destructive time, a terrible time. But for people that are here, who do take the time to listen to the voices of the 144,000 or later able to hear the two witnesses or able to hear and see the angelic voice that's running through the skies and shouting the gospel. There will be multitudes of people that'll find a glimmer of hope, but yet they'll still lose their life. John said, Lord, who are these people in this mass multitude? And the Lord said to him, these are they that came out of great tribulation. These are they who now will stand by the lamb for the rest of eternity and the lamb will feed them and clothe them and help them and they'll hunger no more. Why were they hungry? Because they didn't take the mark and they weren't able to allow, allowed to buy and sell. They lost their lives in a vicious, vicious way. I honestly believe that if we walk close with God, we'll be ready when the king sounds that trumpet. And believe me when I tell you, we are closer to the end today than we were when you first came to know the Lord. I'm not a date setter. I'm not going to tell you when it's going to happen. People in ancient times thought it was going to happen then. But I do know this, the way this book is designed, I believe God expects every generation to have a hopeful expectancy. That he could come during their life. In fact, the Bible says this is called the blessed hope. John says this is the hope that purifies by believing that Jesus could come. That causes you to want to live right. So when I look into the future, I see some things for people that aren't so good. I, I, I think about Brother Clinton one time. He was on television locally down there in Beaumont, Texas. And he had preached on the end times and really had dressed it up, talking about the Antichrist, all the troubles going to have, the death, the destruction and all of that kind of a thing. 
and said the next morning he was in there at the uh, bank taking care of some deposits or something like that. And the bank president looked at him, saw him out there in line and said, hey, come on in here. I want to talk to you. And the preacher went in there and the bank president said, I saw your program the other day. And he said, oh, my goodness, how in the world can you come in here whistling Dixie and be as happy as you are with everything you just described? The false prophet, beast system and all of this stuff. How in the world can you be happy when you're coming in here? And, and, and Brother Clendenin looked at the bank president and said, look, I want you to understand. I wasn't talking about my world. I was talking about yours. The world that I'm going to is not going to have any of those problems. I'll long be called away to be with the king. And that's what I want you to know. We have hope in walking with God. Amen. Amen. One day we will have a one world government. And Jesus will have us in the millennium with him. And we will rule and reign as kings and priests with him. And it'll be powerful. Let's stand tonight. Lord, we don't know when that day is going to be. But one thing we do know is that every day people draw their last breath on this planet. So that tells us you're receiving people every day and every night. And not knowing when our time will be, we want to be ready. And we want to study the book. We want to see what you've said to us about these last days. We pray that you help us to be courageous. Help us to hold fast to that which is good and not turn and swerve to the left or to the right, but to stay with you, O God. And Father, help us to be witnesses for you in these last days, we pray. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen, amen, amen. Praise